Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church, and thank you for joining us today, whether you're coming to us from SoundCloud or all over the world or in my home today. Praise God. I'm glad you're here, and so is He. For really, anytime we take time out of our lives to do what we want to do, because that's what God gives us our life. We, we have our lives to live them any way we want. We can choose to live them for ourselves, or we can choose to live them for God. And the Bible says that anytime we do something for God and put, show Him He's important, that God smiles, and that's something that He wants us to do. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed. I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches, one of God's last days churches, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I surely appreciate it, as uh, we know that we can't understand the word or anything about God if it's not for God's Holy Spirit, so we definitely need His intervention to help us understand everything He has to tell us today. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord God, that you would even think of saving sinners, especially a sinner like me, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, and I thank you. Lord God, that your, that your salvation, that your gifts are open to every person around the whole planet, Lord God, anybody that would hear and anybody that would respond and anybody that would come, anybody that's welcome. We thank you, Lord God, and I just pray today, Lord God, as I just mentioned, Lord, we know that your word says that the only true teacher is the Holy Spirit. It's not me, it's not Bob, Joe, Larry, Lord, it's you and it's your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we ask, Lord God, today that you would communicate to us through, us, through your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and teach us what you want us to learn today. Teach us the things of you, the spiritual things of you, Lord. For we know that the human mind is carnal, Lord, and our human mind can only understand carnal things. But Lord, you are spiritual. So Lord, help us to understand the spirituality and the spiritualness of your word and everything you have to say to us. And then help, it, help us to apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we would not leave as the same people that we are right now. Or we would not leave the, the radio or the computer as the same people that we were before we started listening, Lord God. Change us. Lord, change us. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 26. That's where we're going to be today. But I won't start them or read them or anything until my thoughts from last week's message, the chief cornerstone. Peter sure did give it to the religious leaders in his last sermon, didn't he? They got to ask one question, remember? They got to ask just one question, yet Peter blasted them with multiple, multiple, multiple things. He gave it to the religious leaders Big time. He rebuked them for questioning them and judging them for the healing that they had done. Instead of you know questioning them and judging them for what he did, they should have been rejoicing. Hey, these guys did a miracle in all of Israel. Praise God. Uh, secondly, he reminded them of their sin and their murder of Jesus. Thirdly, uh, he told them that they didn't have the way to salvation, which was a huge slap in the face by saying that Jesus was the cornerstone. Jesus is the only one by which anyone can be saved, which was telling them, hey, you guys and your old way and your old covenant, your Old Testament, that's not the way anymore. You don't have the way to salvation anymore. And lastly, when they couldn't find a way to kill him, because oh, they so wanted to kill him or punish him somehow and condemn him, they never got a chance to even do it as, as Peter just continued on with his sermon and continued to rebuke him and continued to share uh, not only the rebukes, but also the love of God. As of course, by Peter telling him the way to salvation, we know that you know they, they had the way that they had to offer and they had the opportunity to accept Christ as well too. Um, now, why was Peter so harsh with them, though? Because, I mean, we could think about that and we could say, you know, I mean, should we be as harsh as Peter was with, you know, everybody? I mean, you know, because we see that the disciples and the apostles, they weren't as harsh with everybody as they were with the apostles or with the, these religious leaders here. I mean, well, not they didn't preach to everybody the same way. Well, they didn't, and they preached to religious leaders harsher and, and more firmly because they were more accountable for what they knew. They knew the scriptures well. Some sects even memorized parts of the Bible. So lots of knowledge. They were highly honored and they had great spiritual and religious authority over the people. They really did. I mean, they had tremendous authority over these people that they were over. Um, the harsh treatment that they got that Peter gave them in their preaching was because of this principle found in Luke 12:48. The Bible says this, 
For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. You see, even though they were given much by God, they didn't use the much God had given them wisely and godly. And God's rule, it's just a rule. And God has rules and we have rules and we have laws. Well, God's rule here is if he gives you much, much is required of you. And if you don't use your much wisely, your judgment and punishment will be greater. Seriously. Uh, and, and just scriptural proof on that. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you do this and you do that and you do this. Woe to you this. Woe to you that. He must have woed them like a dozen or two times. Really, seriously. And, and they, they weren't good woes. Because at the end, he told them, hey, whoa, you're going to end up in hell. This is not a good whoa, okay? Woes are never good. And then when we look at the, you know, John the Baptist as he was baptizing, and these types came to him in Matthew 3, 7 through 10, we read this. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. Ouch. That's not a really kind way to talk to people, right? I mean, that's not... You wouldn't, you wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't talk to just anybody that way, right? But, but he did brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Hey, we're Jews. Hey, we're the elect. We are the promised children of God. Hey, we got Abraham as our father. He said, oh, don't think to say that. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Hey, God will replace you. If you think you're that secure in your faith, if you think you're that special, God's able to raise up children from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, meaning, hey, God's about to cut you down because you won't relent. You won't turn to me. You won't turn to God. You keep wanting to do it your own way. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, every tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he was giving them a harsh message there. Hey, you're accountable for much because guess what? God's given you much and you're not using your much good and you're not using your much godly. So you know what? Be careful and turn to him right now or else. And so it's not a good message to those that are in religious leadership that are not doing it God's way. God's not fooling around with those in authority. Big time accountability, especially for these uh, religious authority doing it wrong and ungodly, especially. Anyway, let's move on to our new sermon for today, Acts 4, 23 through 26. Title of our message today, we're doing a little spiritual off-roading today. Does evolution explain away an intelligent designer? Not your typical Sunday morning Christian church message, but this is what God's given me on my heart today, so we're going to study the scriptures and see what God has to say to us today. Uh, Let's read 23 through 26, see what God has to say. Says this, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. Now, Disciples go through being put on trial by the Jewish religious leaders where Peter really gives it to them more than they gave it to the apostles. The hypocritical, evil religious leaders make some pointless and non-threatening threats to find because they find no way to kill the apostles because they feared the people, so they were forced to let them go. Today after this, Peter right away and John, they go verse 23, they, they're being let go, went to their own companions and reported all to the chief priests and elders and they told them all that they had to say. They don't stay in the temple but go immediately to their fellow Christian family and tell them what the religious leader said to them, the proceedings of the trial and the sentence, and the good news of how God delivered them from the hands of the religious leaders. No different than today what we see the disciples doing here. What the disciples do is they had something awesome happen, right? They had God's deliverance. And what's the first thing that they do? They don't just keep it to themselves. They go off and they tell their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the Bible says that God doesn't change, right? He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. I would say, and I would contest, at least for me, I would say that's true also for his children, right? We're kind of the same way. I know for me, I can't wait. When God does something awesome in my life, I can't wait to go, hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, 
my beautiful. Hey, listen, listen to what God did today. Listen to what God did today. I just, I just see that in Scripture here, and this is what exactly what Peter and John did when they first had this great thing, an awesome thing happened to them. Uh, I get excited, and so do my brothers and sisters get excited about when good things happen to me, as I get excited about good things that happen to them, and I can't wait to share them with them. Praise God. And Peter and John's fellow soldiers in Christ, are they as excited about what God did for them as they were? Look at verse 24. When they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Absolutely they are. They rejoice and they sing out or they pray all together and their first words are so precious and so sweet. And their, their first words are where our whole pretty much 99% of the rest of my sermon will lie right here. Their first words, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them. Now, wait a minute. Who did the disciples say made the heaven and earth and seas and all that's within them? Well, God's given me a pretty big detour here, so hold on to the seats because we're going to go somewhere that most Christian churches won't go, especially on a Sunday morning. Did they say that uh, it was the Big Bang that made everything? And then after the Big Bang, you know, we evolved from some primordial sludge or soup then eventually, you know, winded up, you know, we eventually kind of turned into mankind from monkeys. Is that what they said? No, the disciples didn't say that. They said in their prayer that it was the Lord who is God who made everything. The creator, maker, intelligent designer, and not some random fictional process that no one's actually been ever able to prove, ironically. It's always been just a theory. theory. So unprovable is this ridiculous idea of evolution that one of the top chemists in the world from Georgia Tech, a Mr. James A. Tour, gave a speech on macroevolution. What is this macroevolution? It's where our title of our sermon comes from. It's evolution that claims to explain away an intelligent creator God with some idea that humanity evolved from an instant bang and then from some sludge eventually turning into mankind from monkey. Totally dismissing the Bible's claim in Genesis 127, so God made man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. I don't read that that was by a random process. I read that that was by God said he made man and they were in God's own image. That's pretty ironic. Anyway, Mr. James Tour, James A. Tour, one of the top chemists in the world from Georgia Tech, Rice University, actually says, says in his speech on macroevolution, he says this. So unprovable is this macroevolution, he says this. I will tell you as a scientist and a synthetic chemist, if anybody should be able to understand evolution, it is me. And understand he's talking about macroevolution, not micro. We see microevolution in almost everything. We all change slightly to, to adapt to our environment. If you go out in the sun, if you're a redhead, you're going to get some freckles. It's your body's protection. If you're darker skin, maybe Mediterranean flavor, you're going to get dark. Okay, and that's just adaptation. We're not changing from one species to another. We're actually just adapting to put more melanin in our skin. It's already in our DNA. It's already built into us. And that we're just going to go out and our skin's going to get a little darker to protect us from that harsh sun and its UV rays. So he is referencing macroevolution, which is the transfer from one species to another. And this is what he's saying that he cannot understand. It is me that he would understand because I make molecular, oh, I make molecules for a living. And I don't just buy a kit and mix this and that and this and that and, and get this. I mean, I make molecules. I understand how hard it is to make molecules. I understand that if I take nature's toolkit, it could be much easier because all the tools are already there. I just mix it in and the correct proportions and, and I do it under the correct conditions, but it is very, very hard. I don't understand evolution. I will confess that to you. Is that okay for me to say? I don't understand this. Is that all right? I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't understand anything about organic synthesis, but they understand evolution. I understand a lot about making molecules. I don't understand evolution. 
Let me tell you what goes on in the back room of science with National Academy members with Nobel Prize winners. I have sat with them, and when I get them alone, not in public, because it's a very very scary thing to say what I just said, I say, do you understand this, where all this came from, and how this happens, and every time that I have sat with people who are synthetic chemists who understand this, they go, "Uh uh-uh, nope, Uh uh-uh, nope. These people are just so far off on how they believe this stuff came together. I've sat with National Academy members, with Nobel Prize winners. Sometimes I say, do you understand this? And if they're afraid to say yes, they say nothing. They just stare at me because they sincerely, because they can't sincerely do it. I I was once brought in by the dean of department many years ago, and he was a chemist. He was kind of concerned about some things. I said, let me ask you something. You're a chemist. Do you understand this? How do you get DNA without a cell membrane? which is kind of what you need, and yeah, I'm getting there. And how do you get a cell membrane without DNA? And how does all this come together from, from this piece of jelly? We have no idea. We have no idea, I said. Isn't it interesting that you, the dean of science, and I, the chemistry professor, can talk about this quietly in your office, but we cannot go out there and talk about this. But about seven or eight years ago, I posted on my website that I don't understand. And I said, I'll buy lunch for anyone that will sit with me and explain to me evolution. And won't ar- and I won't argue with you until I don't understand something. I'll ask you to clarify, but you can't wave by and say, oh, this enzyme does that. And you got to get that down in the details or, or where the molecules are built for me. Nobody has come forward. The Atheist Society contacted me. They said they will buy the lunch, and they challenged the Atheist Society to go down to Houston and have lunch with this guy and talk to him. Nobody has come. Now remember, because I'm just going to ask, when I, start, when I stop understanding what, you've, what you're talking about, I will ask. So I sincerely want to know. I would like to believe it, and he's referring to evolution, I'd like to believe it, but I just can't. James A. Tour, listen, synthetic chemist, scientist, professor, mechanical engineering and materials, Rice University. And guess what? Upon his understanding of evolution, not one misled, unsaved, God-hating, atheist person who follows the religion of evolution, because it is is an, an absolute religion, has come forward to refute him. And that's because, guess why? They can't. They can't refute him. They absolutely can't. If they believed in their religion so much to me, how come no one has come forward to refute him and tell him why evolution is true or not true? And to me, if you really believe something very strongly, then put up or shut up. That's to me, okay? And give some proof of what you believe to shut the opposition up. If somebody comes to me and says, I don't believe in your Christ. I don't believe in your God. And I don't believe in the Bible. I, don't, I just don't say, well, okay then, I, I mean, I want you to believe. But uh, no, we'll get down in a nitty and gritty, just like I'm going to do here in this sermon today. Because giving proofs of God and disproving evolution was not the topic of the disciples' prayer But I'm led by God this week for some reason. I I mean, God just works weird ways sometimes to make these issues my focus. Told you that today we're going to do some spiritual off-roading, didn't I? Now, I've been to James A. Tour's website, in case you're interested, in case you want to go there, because I'm a very uh, kind of a skeptical person. I don't just believe everything just because somebody says it. And this could have been a quote that you know somebody found on something or other. So I actually went on his website, and ironically, he doesn't actually have the challenge up anymore, but he does say this under the category of like creation and evolution. He says this. Uh, he took down the challenge, he must have, but he still obviously believes the same thing. He says this, it's clear chemists and biologists are clueless, I wrote. Those who think scientists understand the issues of prebiotic chemistry are wholly misinformed. Nobody understands them. This is uh, March 5th, 2017. In case this sermon is being listened to you know, years ahead of time, this is March 5th, 2017. And this is what James A. Tour wrote today. I don't understand. Nobody understands them. Maybe one day we will, but that day is far 
from today. So obviously he took down the challenge. Maybe he was having some crackpots call him or whatever, but he still left this on there that he did not understand because this was just a speech that I read to you about him not understanding. This wasn't actually on his website, but the challenge was supposed to be on his website, but he must have taken that down. But he still does not believe, and you can go there and you can check that out for yourself. Anyway, moving on. So after Mr. Tour's statements, can we say that evolution has no proof to help it, to help us believe in it, to help us put our faith in it, to help us disclude a God? No, I don't think it discludes God at all. I don't think it, it wipes away God or explains away God. I absolutely believe that by what we've looked at so far, evolution is a fraud. And, and because to me, if you have no proof of what you're saying is real... To me, I don't believe it. I have to have tangible, as I'm a skeptic, I'm I'm a true skeptic at heart. If I don't have true proof of anything, I just can't believe it. Well, I believe in this, then I'll show it to me. Well, yeah, it can't show it to me. Even if you say, well, I believe in logic. Well, I would ask you to show me logic then. And you can show somebody logic. You can't show somebody logic like this computer screen I have in front of me, like you can touch it, but you can say words and you can use logic in words to show me logic. I'm, I'm not meaning saying I need to touch something to believe it. I just need you to give me some proof of it. So no, evolution, there's no proof for evolution at all. Uh, can we say that a super amazing, super intelligent creator, God, created all things? I believe we can, because partly of Mr. Tour, uh, but there's also some other reasons that I have. So what more proof do I have that evolution is a false religion and that an intelligent creator, God, made everything and everyone? Well, I already covered Mr. Tour's, but just a thought on that real quick before I move past Mr. Tour's thoughts here. How could a man make molecules for a living, yet not understand evolution. What, what supposedly it all, that's how it all happened. Molecules came from this and they formed together. And if he doesn't understand, how could it be true? If anyone would understand how it worked and how evolution supposedly happened, it would be him. So he has a pretty hard testimony against evolution to beat. He, he really does. I mean, he really, I mean, I, I, kind of almost the nail in the coffin. But believe it or not, there's a, there's a couple more. I mean, a- evolution doesn't explain how the planets hang there in the sky. and well, What power holds them? I don't, there's no process that's evolving from one thing to another. It's, it's, planets just hang there. And where does our life force come from? How come I don't see evolution in that? I mean, we just live. And then when we get old and our bodies kind of wear out, then eventually at one point our kind of life force just goes out. What makes the life force go out? I'm just, things like this make me think, how can evolution, I don't, there's nothing evolving there, I just live. I'm just empowered to live. I don't plug myself in. I don't, I don't have to get out my solar shield and I don't have to get, you know, rays from the sun in order to power I just have the power to live. Planets, the earth is going 24,000 miles or something like that an hour in, in a circle. And then, and then like 2,000 something miles an hour around the sun. Or, or it might be reversed. How does that happen? No evolution there. That's just power that just makes it. So I mean, that's the second reason why I see a creator, God, intelligent designer, and all of creation, including ourselves, by those things. But, but there's just one more, just, just a basic one. And God shared it with me years ago on the streets. And it's just so basic. It's just a basic argument of an intelligent designer that also just destroys the God-hating religion of evolution. And here it is. It's just very so simple. If evolution were true, then we would see it happening all around us as well as in, as in the fossil record. We would just see it everywhere. Yet, we don't see it either in the fossil record, as no one has found a legitimate transitional skeleton structure, nor do we see it in the creatures or the people that live around us, right? But you say, Pastor Ed, you know, you're an idiot. And I'll, okay, go ahead. You know, I, I hear you. You're an idiot because you must not realize that evolution is a process that takes millions and millions and millions of years. And we can't say that with our naked eye because we just only live a fragment of that small of the millions of years. Well, that's a pretty good argument, but it's here where I have to say you're not that smart because you missed the obvious that God showed me years ago on the topic. And it's in this overlooked detail that God showed me on how simple but powerful an argument this is of an intelligent designer which destroys evolution that this argument gets even more awesome. Just, just a basic, basic thing. Think about this. 
isn't today one million or two million or three million or four million days or years from one million years ago today? Absolutely it is, right? Absolutely. And because it is, because evolution is supposedly an ongoing thing, we don't have to have lived for that supposed one million years to witness evolution. All we have to do is just look all around at each other and all the creatures around us because if evolution was real, then we should see this happening in the world's creatures and people at some major point in that evolutionary process. For today is one million years ago, today from a million years ago. And if things are always going on, then, then we're some, you're going to see something. Or in the fossil record, you're going to see something in some type of major or even minor. I'll take a minor one. I'll take a minor one, just some major or minor evolutionary level. But what do we see? What do we see in any major or any even minor evolutionary change? Well, let's look. <clears throat> dogs. I, I got a dog. See, dog and then the dog. Well, dogs only ever that I'm 42 years old. I've only seen dogs make dogs. Cats. I, I have two cats. I've only ever seen cats. Produce cats. Now, there's all different kinds of cats. You know, there's lions and there's jaguars and there's tigers and there's the house cat, but just all the genus of a cat. And if you go on, birds, whales, human beings, lizards, none of them. I haven't ever witnessed any of these creatures, including human beings, ever produce anything more than what they are. Now, every one of these examples I gave you, they're, for, for, they're the very same as they've always been and I've been alive a little over 42 years, okay? But not even one of them looks like they're in some major shift onto another kind of animal or creation or person. Not even a minor shift in species for that matter. And remember, evolution is an ongoing, never-ending process. Now, I will play the devil's advocate here for just a minute, okay? Because I got to. And I handed out a paper, and I want you guys to pass this around when I, when I, when I show this out to you, not just yet. But... um. I'm given the evolutionists the benefit of the doubt. You know, truly, I've only been around for a little over 42 years, just a little over, out of the 1 million, and, and I'm making this critique. And, and you may say, hey, that's not very fair, Pastor Ed. You're, you're tilted anyway. You're, you know, you're coming from a Bible perspective, and, and, you know, and you've only been around 42. You, you can't, oh, this is a 42 years out of a 1 million. That's nothing. Well, and, and the, I'll accept that. I, I will accept that, and there may be some truth to that. But well, let's go back, let's say... 2,600 years. Certainly in 2,600 years from 2,600 years ago, we should see something like if we were able to have some evidence from 2,600 years ago to today, we should see something like if evolution were true, then people or animals should be way different 2,600 years ago because, you know, that's that 2,600, that's a big chunk of a million, right? I mean, that is a big chunk. I mean, that's not 42 years. It's still not a million, but it's still a pretty big chunk. So, what do we see from 2,600 years ago that would show us if evolution was true? Well, you can pass around your picture now, and you can look at your picture. Uh, I can know that evolution's not true because of these two little gems I'm passing around. I'm going to put the link on the website, and they're called the Twin Quarry of Argos. And you'll find these gems on the internet if you just uh, Google search. These Twin Quarry of Argos named Clebus and Biton, sculpted by Polymedes, circa 580 BCE. There are two teenage males sculpted naked. The, the pictures were taken by uh, Mark Cartwright and, and found on ancient.eu, just for my reference point there. And guess what? They still exist in, Del in the Delphi Archaeological Museum in Greece. And, and guess what? The picture that you're looking at here. Guess what? I, I pass it out one more time there. Take a look. Did those figurines look any different than the human beings that we see today? I mean, look, look you look on there. It's on beyond the website, too. You'll, you'll be able to see it, too. That's 2,600 years of pure certified real evolution. And they look the same today. Or we look the same today, March 5th, 2017, as they did in circa 580 BCE. Yet, if evolution is correct and still happening, 
since we're 1 million years or 2,600 years ago from 1 million years ago, then we would be seeing macro evolution happening everywhere in everything and even in the fossil record. And you know what? Do we absolutely not? Zero. The guys there look the same as us today. Now, certainly in 2,600 years, some would have to be changing, and you even go deeper, and since evolution takes an advance in information, and so which means that we're getting stronger, we're getting smarter, we're getting more intelligent, that would be what the premise would be. Now, I didn't have this in my notes, but I just, I'm, I'm kind of fired up right now, but if you look it up, even scientific websites right now are saying that people are getting dumber now, how can that be? If it takes an advance in information to get an evolutionary change to go to the next level up, how could people be getting more stupid? Oh my goodness gracious, I, and I'm not, I swear to you, look this up, it's God's honest truth. Woo! Anyway, and since we can't see any major or any minor shifts in a species change from one species to another, macro evolution still going on today. This is this is an example along with the two others I've given. It completely dismantles evolution at its core because of this idea that, there, that, that these things I've talked about must be true. It, science is a is a is is, a, is something we should see, something we can experience, something we can witness, and this is not an accurate science. What kind of science of creation do we see happening all around us that we can witness? And what kind of creation has anyone ever witnessed? Well, it comes from my book. It comes from the Bible, actually. Genesis 1, 11 through 12. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding sealed, uh, seed and fruit trees bearing fruit and which is in their seed, each according to its kind. Huh. Interesting. Everything is made that I've ever seen, including the, including the two twins there, are made according to its kind of the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, and each according to its kind. The only things we've ever seen uh, come about by by by. God's creatures or people being born are being those born by whom they're born by. We've never seen a person bear a rabbit. We've never seen a person bear a monkey. We've never seen a person bear a more. In fact, people are getting more stupid. And that science shows right now they're investigating it. And this is what they're finding out. Wow. Dogs make dogs. Cats make cats. Humans make humans. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I believe that we can absolutely see the evidence of a divine intelligent being that created everything, evidence enough even for a blind man. Yeah. Not for, not, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, oh, a PhD or a chemist for Rice University. You don't have to be a scholar to understand that point there. It's the most basic yet powerful argument against evolution I've ever heard in my life. If, if it's happening, it should still be happening. And not so, and, 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 and what we don't, we don't see a random process that nobody can prove nor see. Even we should be, even we should be able to daily. We should be able to see this stuff daily and, and in our fossil record and everything. Just, just even one. Just even one transitional phrase. Just give me one. Just show me one in between creature that's right now. Show me just one. Yet there isn't even one. Wow. And even especially according to James A. Tour, who should absolutely be able to understand macroevolution and how it works because he makes cells as a life's work. Evolution doesn't even work for him. He doesn't understand it, period, the end. So it, to me, it's clear at this point that evolution is a completely false belief and religion. And if we don't, and if we didn't get it, and if we didn't get here by evolution, and we didn't make it all, and we didn't create all the things that we see out there ourselves, and we didn't create ourselves because I didn't, you know, who did? Who who did? Who did? Well, it must be an intelligent creator God, and I think that creation exists and and being completely self-sustaining, including the planets that we don't touch. We don't do any. We don't plant them. We don't water them. We don't give them food. Yet, they're there. And yet, 
us being on Earth, really, and I will, I will admit to this, and evolutionary scientists and talking about global warming, also, they say that humans are kind of like a plague to the Earth. And I, and I will actually agree with that. I mean, although God put us in dominion over that, we really don't really take care of what God's given us. We really don't. Not, not very well. Now, do I think that, because it's, 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 it's statistic that the Earth is only covered, the total Earth's surface is only covered by 9 to 11% by humans. Do I really think that 9 to 10, we'll say 10%, let's get right in the middle. Do I think that 10% of a total surface area the size as big as the Earth would change the whole environment of a planet as big as the Earth? I struggle with that. I don't, I don't think so. Because you know what? How could that? It's just literally, we only cover like 43% of the actual Earth surface. That's, that's only 10, roughly 10% of all the Earth's surface. I don't think we're going to change things. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of what God has given us saying that, okay? But if we weren't here, the Earth would be better off because we kind of move in and we destroy things. We move in, we make smog, we make pollution. So really, the earth would be better off without us. And look at what the earth does on its own without us even being there. Go to the rainforest and look at the rainforest, and they don't need anybody to be there. They just are self-sustaining, and the ecosystem completely... And that's outside of people. Now, now if <laughs> going back to evolution now, you know, and we're advancing and doing all these things, the earth is, stays the same. And it's the same as anybody's ever seen it in the plants and the trees. And yet it's all even self-sustaining. And I believe in that even shows us that there's an intelligent designer and not just some random process that just happened millions or billions or whatever they say years ago. I think that all these things over, give overwhelming evidence or proof that there is an intelligent creator that created everything. And I hope that you today see that. And believe it or not, but there's even more things that I could talk about today, but my, 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 but really, literally, my sermon could be days long, and I got, I got a whole other section to cover that I'm really excited about. So no debating here anymore. There's absolutely must be an intelligent creator God, because the alternative of macroevolution is absolutely bogus, and I hope that you see this. But that brings me to my next point. That brings me to my next one. I, I even get more excited about this next point than I, than I did already with this, this point here. Yes, creator God. Yes, a, a divine, intelligent creator being. Um, but which one? Huh? Which one? So far, I've referenced a couple things using simple logic to prove an intellectual creator God to you with one example from the Bible, you know, being the seed after a seed, because my fate is from the Bible. And maybe you have been swayed into admitting that there, you were wrong and that, you know, wow, I never looked at things like that. I mean, yeah, I should be seeing things like this. Well, and maybe you admit, man, there must be an intelligent creator God, but you, you are not swayed. Listen, Pastor, I... I, I grew up a Muslim, or I grew up a Buddhist, or I grew up a Hindu, and you know, and that's my God. And and how do I know your God is the right God? Uh, how do I know that you know God isn't some uh, you know alien that came to Earth and, and seeded the Earth? I mean, it, it can get confusing, right? How do I know that Allah or, or Shiva or Vishnu or Gishna or, or Brahma or Brahman or etc.? How do I know that all these gods? aren't the right God. How do you know you got the right God? I mean, you, you got some kind of magic formula? You, oh, you just, just, no, no, no. How do you know? Uh, maybe it's just all the gods, which is a very popular ideal right now. Maybe it's just all the gods. Maybe just, you know, different societies believe in, you know, well, I believe in this because I was born here and that's just the way we perceive God, you know. Well, how do we know? How do we know that it's, how do I know, you should say, how do I know that I have the right God, how do we know which is the right God or all the, all the same? Well, these are some great questions. And most pastors, i got to be honest with you, and most Christians for that matter, they won't even go there. They will stray away completely and just tell you that, hey, they worship Jesus Christ because he died for our sins and then resurrected from the dead to save people from the sins. And guess what? This is amazing news. But you, if, you're born in, if you've been born into another religion and taught that your religion was the right one or, or born into no religion like me, I, I grew up with nothing and then became a professing atheist uh, before I believed the truths that I just told you of, how can you know which God is the right God? 
I mean, after all, I mean, you know, from people's perspective and the way they've been born, I mean, yes, creation does testify of a God, absolutely. But, you know, does creation, does the, does the Bible say that all creation testifies of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, but in an indirect way. So, but you could kind of be confused because you, you've been born a Muslim or you've been born a, a Hindu. So, how can we answer these questions about which God we should worship, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked because I actually have real proofs and evidences of the God that I worship to help you know who the real intelligent creator God really is that go above me just saying, hey, believe what I believe and that's just what I expect you to believe. For starters, who were the disciples praying to in Acts 4? Bible says that they were praying to the only holy and heavenly Father of Jesus Christ, or God Almighty, also known as Jehovah God or Yahweh. Where? Look at verses 24 through 26. They raised their voice to God with one accord, and he said, Lord, you are God. By the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage against and the people plot vain things? The king of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So there you go. That's who they were praying for. And Jesus only professed to have one God. He didn't profess to have other gods. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God says, I am God. I am one God. And there is no other, right? So this section just contextually, uh, the main context, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going outside context of the Bible because creation is according to the Bible in a whole context. But contextually, mainly here, this, this section just talked about how the peoples of the earth have, and they really still are, and specifically the Jewish people stood against God Almighty and against His only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ. Now, off to our spiritual off-roading, off to the may other, like the secondary ideal here, the secondary context here. My first point is of the reality of the Jesus Christ of the Bible as the only Son of God. Listen, the very fact that the disciples were worshiping and praying to their God, the Father of Jesus Christ, and asked for here today is proof of the reality of Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, come on, Pastor Ed, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. Yes, you can, and I'll prove to you how. Listen to this. Ever heard of a, a guy that maybe is an insignificant guy, not to me, call his name is a Simon Greenleaf? Ever heard of a guy named Simon Greenleaf? I'm just just a little character. Well, I'll just give you a little background. In 1833, Greenleaf was named to the Royal Professorship of Harvard. Hmm. Now, have you ever heard of Harvard? Yeah, I think you have. In 1834, he was awarded the Honorary Doctor of Laws degree at Harvard. And in 1846, he succeeded Judge Joseph Story as Dean Professor of Law at Harvard University. He was a great professional lawyer man, great man of the knowledge of the world, and he really knew the law. But that's not all that he was. This gets exciting. He was also a non-believing, anti-God, Bible skeptic that thought he would prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ a fraud, and really the whole Bible, because if you prove one thing in the Bible wrong, then since the Bible says it's inspired by God, really you proved the whole Bible So he thought he was going to prove the whole Bible wrong by looking at the evidence, examining the evidence given in the writing by the four gospel writers. Yet, listen to this. In his examination of the evidence found in the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the events with the disciples afterwards, he decided that the resurrection, listen to this, this is a man who knew law better than any one of us in this room or probably most people in America know the law. And he said this, he decided that after the resurrection, he decided that, this resurrection of Jesus Christ was the most supported historical event in all history. Jesus was the only God and committed his life to Christ. He even wrote a book called this. It's kind of a lengthy title if you want to write it down. An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. We're not just talking about any law here. We're not just, oh, well, you know, I jaywalked and I'm going to get it trying to get off the jet. No, this is the evidence administered in the courts of justice. And he did that to help others believe by the evidences that he found. There's a lot to all that he found, but I'm just going to hit the major highlights for the proof's sake of the Bible and Christ is one true God and the only intelligent creator. And this is what he found that he converted him. You see, here's what he found. Jesus Christ was murdered on the cross. And all his disciples fled as scared mice. They all fled and they all hid. Why? For fear of the Jews. Yet, hold on, there was a change. 
there was some kind of miraculous change right? because they they went and hid like scared mice yet would you read what did i just tell you here in acts 4 they heal a layman and they get put on trial where they could have lost their lives for preaching christ yet they boldly preach jesus christ and at that listen openly to those that murdered their savior Right? What happened to the scared guys? What happened to the guys that were the mice and that hid from the fear of the Jews? And not only the disciples preaching Jesus Christ in Acts 4 under the threat of death, but all but the Apostle John preached Jesus Christ unto their deaths. They spilled their blood with chances, listen, that people gave them to recant. They said, if you just recant, we'll let you off. Yet none of them did and went to death for Christ. And it was all because they met. Why? One reason, only one reason. The Bible tells us that they met the resurrected Jesus Christ. And you see, many have called the resurrection of Christ a hoax, but there's a huge problem with that. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ was fake and a hoax, his disciples knew it was a hoax. They were with him for three and a half years straight, right? And they would have known he was a fraud. Now, now here's what, here's one of the things that converted this fellow here, and knowing Jesus Christ was a lie and a fraud, who on earth would die for a lie? Knowing he was a fraud! Uh, Nobody! I wouldn't, would you? No, no, never. And, And what did they have to gain for dying for Jesus Christ, the fraud, if he never resurrected and he was a fake? Nothing. They had nothing to gain. There was no political power. There was nothing that they had to gain. Listen to this. Michael Green, professor of St. John's College in Nottingham, writes concerning the apostles, along the same lines as Dr. Greenleaf had said, he says this, you could imprison the disciples, you could flog them, you could kill them, but you couldn't make them deny their conviction that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again. Dr. Greenleaf writes this, It is impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. Right? They spilled their blood because of their belief and it wasn't forced. They weren't told if you do this, you'll get to go to heaven. They weren't told if you do this, you'll get, you'll, you know, you'll get a special spot with God. They did it because they couldn't deny it because they knew what they saw. And no matter how much people tortured them, no matter how much people punished them, no matter how much people persecuted them, they remained steadfast, believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that is an evidence of the reality of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because there's not another religion in the whole world where you find the disciples, the immediate disciples, dying not as victors. They weren't dying because they were in a war trying to win. They weren't dying with the, with the you know, slings and the, and the swords in their hands going after them. You convert or we're going to kill you. They weren't dying like that. They were dying preaching Jesus Christ crucified and his salvation to all humanity. And the people would come and they'd say, stop preaching. And they'd say, well, we can't. We've seen him. We just got to tell everybody. Okay, well, then you're going to go die. Okay, but, and as they're dying, as the early Christians being burned at the stake are dying, being persecuted, being martyred, they're preaching Jesus Christ even, at the, even from the, the, the faggots uh, uh, being tied to the stake. They died. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the biggest and strongest proofs of Jesus Christ that anybody can ever give you. There's more, okay? But I understand, I could preach for days. There's whole ministries, guys, set up just for describing the proofs of Jesus Christ to help people that are seeking, that really want to know, who was Jesus Christ really real? There's whole ministries and whole websites designed just for doing this. What about the Bible? What about the God of the Bible as a whole? Well, here's another one for you. <clears throat> These are, there are three proofs that prove the Bible to anybody. And they're prophecy, archaeology, and history. And you see, within these three things, the Bible is historically, archaeologically, and prophetically absolutely 100% 
accurate. And, and now, because again, I could teach on these aspects of the proofs of the Bible for days straight and how they give proof of the Bible and Jehovah God and, and the Bible, I will not do that. I'm not going to give you every detail. I'm just going to give you one major one, and then I'm going to give you some more minor ones that I'm not going to go through. So, so here's just one. It, it's a prophecy. The largest one to me, it, it comes from a prophecy. And, that, and, and how do we know prophecy tells us that God's real? Well, can you see into the future, sir? Or, or can you Sir, can you see into the future? How, ma'am, can you see into the future? I, I can't see in the future. No, nobody that I know can see into the future. So if we see something that's written future, and, and, and then boom, and then 2,000 years come by, 4,000 years, 10,000 years goes by, and then it still it comes to pass. No man could do that. So that's how we know prophecy is one of the ways that we know that God is real. So here's a prophecy that God give, gave about his children, about his chosen Jewish people. And he gave it about, you know, this is God's number today, uh, roughly 2,600 years ago. Just like the twin Argos people that I just gave you that I showed you, you can look on the website. So Jeremiah 31, 35, and 36, God gives the most, one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Word of God. Listen to this. 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, the ordinance of the moon, stars, and uh, for a light by night, who disturbs the sea, or yes, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Listen, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Do you know what God just said there? God just said that my chosen Jewish people will always be a people before me forever. Isn't that something? Well, you say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't see the prophetic value there. I, what's, what's the prophetic value there? Well, well here, here it is. As of 2013, just some, just some cute and interesting numbers here for me. The Jews in the land of Israel numbered about 8.059 million people. So I even say eight people. Hey, that's a lot, Pastor. Yeah, okay, yeah, so there's Jews. You know, I get that. But okay, but they're in the land of Israel. But just to give you an idea how big that number is, right? How big is eight million? This is how big? Eight, eight and a half million? The city of New York has eight and a half million people. So the children of Israel and the land of Israel have less people than one major U.S. city, right? And what's the significance of the prophecy? Well, these Jews, which only number a little over eight million people, sit right in the middle of the middle East. Well, you say, well, what's so big about that? They're surrounded by throngs. And and I'm not just going to 8 million. There's 2.1 billion Muslims in the world, roughly. There's hundreds of millions of Muslims in the Middle East, right outside of Jerusalem, even sharing, this is amazing, one quarter of Jerusalem as just Jerusalem itself is spread into four quarters. And, and that one quarter belongs to Muslims. That's, they kind of like live there. They inhabit there. The Jews really don't go there. And yet, the Jews still remain. Eight million against hundreds of millions of Muslims. Now, how much do Muslims hate Jews? They teach their children that they're lower than cockroaches. I'm not kidding. They teach their children from little man's age right there and younger that Jewish people are worse than cockroaches. They would wipe them off the planet any moment, any day that they absolutely could. But yet how do just a little, just, just think of a city in New York, just, just think of New York City, just think of you know, the whole, forget it, whole state of New York. Let's just, let's just say the whole state of New York. <laughs> What's the whole state full of people going to do against hundreds and hundreds of millions of Jews that surround, or Muslims that surround, that want to crush them and pulverize them to dust? Is there any other possible alternative way that you could think that the Jews still remain in their land if not for God's prophecy? If not for a divine hand? Dude, I can't think of any other. These people hate the Jews. They have tried to destroy them. They, they had the seven-day war. They couldn't stand, can't stand the Jews. And yet, the Jews stand in Israel 
immoved and considered by many to have the strongest, toughest, most durable, most powerful military in the world that nobody can penetrate, actually. Reagan helped out in the 80s with that. But still, these, these guys are tough. Tough as nails. We in America could learn a lot from them. Yet still, even a great army, even let's say they got two million in their army, by sheer numbers, ladies and gentlemen, a hundred million against two million is nothing. I don't care how many guns you have. I don't care how many bombs you have. Two million against even just 100 million is nothing. And if God's hand was not on Israel, Muslims would have wiped them out long ago, decades ago. So what's a proof of God in the Bible? <laughs> well, the prophecy that God gave saying, nobody will let my people be moved. They'll always be a nation before me always and this is what we see today and that prophecy again 2000 roughly and 600 years old yet we still see it march 5th 2017 i asked a young jewish man one time that i was witnessing to i asked him about that and he he was blown to the wall i don't i don't he'd never heard that before Maybe you've never heard it before, because that's what I'm, I'm doing for you here. I'm giving you proofs. If you're really seeking, I'm giving you proofs that the God of the Bible and the Bible itself are real. They're not, they're not just some fairy tale, okay? Just, just touching on a few more. We're, we're, I'm going over a little on time today, so I'm sorry, but just, just a few more prophecies. Just look at the prophecies. Google prophecies in Daniel of Alexander the Great. They're 100% accurate. Just take the prophecy by Daniel of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, which represented every major kingdom on earth from Nebuchadnezzar's until today, with most of them being fulfilled except for the 10 major kingdoms and the stone, which is Christ coming, and that's the second coming, that's going to roll and destroy those 10 kingdoms of Satan when Jesus Christ comes back in his second coming. Though It's just mind-blowing how accurate Daniel's dream, prophetic dream from God, is on this these these kingdoms of the world that from Nebuchadnezzar on to even today. It's it's mind blowing. There's no man that could have done that. God is real. God and the Bible are real. Prophecies of Jesus Christ from the Jewish source, Isaiah chapter fifty three. When Jews asked, Isaiah fifty three talks about the life of Jesus Christ, the the death of Jesus Christ, how he would die, the reason that he would die for the transgressions of my people, and that he would be rose and that he would rise again. And that being again about 2,500 years before Christ, or before today, about 2,000 years before Christ lived. What man can do that? And they are a hundred percent. When the Jews in the nation were asked, well, what does Isaiah 53 mean? Because it's dated, by the way. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can't just say it was written up by a book, you know, the other day. It's dated in the Dead Sea Scrolls. When asked, the Jewish nation asked, well, well, well what, what does this mean? How does this? And they said, oh, it's the, it's the nation of Israel. And well, really? The nation of Israel died for the transgressions of people? Really? I don't when did the nation ever die? Because there's always been the nation ever since God's been. He's always, I mean, the nation's been broken up a little bit, but it's never died. And, and certainly not for the transgressions of any man. And then when did it resurrect? It just doesn't make any sense, but they just throw it out there because they refuse to believe. Archaeological evidence. Listen to this. And this is another one. When, when, when you see archaeological evidence, it's mind-blowing because it, there's, there's books out there that make claims. And then when you go look for the archaeology of it, there's no archaeology of the claim that they make. It's, it's all just that they make a claim, oh, the city was here, the Great War was here, and then they go there, and well, where, where is it all? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Uh, book, the Book of Mormon is a great thing of that. So here we got... Archaeological evidence, listen to this, of Paul's travels throughout Asia that proved that he was the Apostle Paul that went and planted churches in the places that we read about in the upcoming chapters of Acts, as we're going to read about here in a little bit. Scriptural, so historical, okay, this is historicity evidence of the Bible. Scripture, so historical, so accurate, found in the Bible of great battles, 
certain places, certain cities, certain nations, where they were, that, listen, the atheistic evolutionary organization of the Smithsonian has taken the writings of where these things were in the Bible. They've gone there to dig, and they find the place that the Bible said was there. When you try that with other religions, oh, what? What is this place? We don't even know. In fact, most of the places in the Bible and the cities in the New Testament, they're all actually still there in Israel. They're actually still there to this very day. And so it's just amazing to me. <laughs> really, ladies, I could go on, on and on and on and on for days on these solid factual evidences and proofs of the Bible and its truthfulness and, and then proving God in the Bible and Jesus Christ also. What do I have for Islam? What do I have for Buddhism, or Shintoism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses? You name it. Nothing but contradictions. Nothing but false facts. Nothing but just, you know, hey, I, I stay, say this. Oh, what did I say earlier? You can tell me anything. Can you prove it to me, sir? Can you prove it to me, ma'am? And they can't. The, the seeming stories that they, there's no proof for, uh, or you better follow our religion or else or we're going to cut your head off, you know, and that's what you get. Not provable things that we find in the Bible. And again, I could go on and on on the proofs of what God's word and, the, and give you evidence of the real reality of the God of the Bible, the Bible itself and Jesus Christ, that we could be here for days. Literally today, I just scratched the surface. An evolution which cannot be even explained or understood even by one of the top chemists in the world, a Georgia, a Georgia Tech's Mr. James A. Tour, who if anyone would be able to understand macroevolution, it would be him. To me, macroevolution is a blind a faith not built on facts. A faith built on lies and circular reasoning. So now, now that you have all these truths of the Bible, God Almighty and Jesus Christ, and the truths of destroy evolution, and, and every other so-called faith in the world, you need to decide which one has more evidence to support. You should demand evidence from the belief that you believe, and you should demand evidence as a Muslim. How do we know um, Muhammad really had that vision from that guy? How do we really even know that Islam is the real religion? Huh? Can you give me any factual evidence of, of that Allah exists or that did Allah in his word say, hey, you'll know me by these things? No, they, they won't, but they can, you can ask. Please ask. But you have to make a decision. You have to decide, does what you believe have support? Is it supported and if it's not, and you'll find that it's not, please seek. I implore you, please seek. Clearly, you're going to find that Christ and his word and the Bible, hands down, are the only faith in the world. It's the only religion in the world that you actually have provable evidence to actually have, to put solidly some feet on to say, okay, I got this, I can believe this. If you would say that you didn't believe or refuse to believe in God or Christ before today, but now let's say you'll yield today to these truths of God and his word and Christ and not evolution or other so-called faiths and gods that the people of the world worship today that can't be proven by actual proof, then that's just the first step that the God of the Bible desires you to take towards him. That's really just the first step. That, that's a huge, tremendous step now, mind you, but, but it's still just the first step. But you're, you're not quite there, almost there. What does the God of the Bible, what does Jesus Christ want from you? There's where the rubber meets the road. Because belief is nice, but belief comes real when the rubber meets the road. So what do they want from you? Well, God on the Mount of Transfiguration passed the torch, you say, to Jesus Christ. And he said, hey, listen to him. I, you know, I know I was important and I still am, but right now I'm, I, everything I want from you is through him. So what did Jesus Christ say that he wanted from you after that? Just really simple. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says this. Come to me. Come to me. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to come. And he wants you to surrender. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
He wants you to come and he wants you to start following him. He wants you to dedicate your life to him and surrender to him as the God that he is, the real God, the provable, absolute proof, real proof, solid proof that you can stand on really proof. He wants you to do that. Not just as some fairy tale or something that you believed when you were growing up from your mom and dad. This is what he really wants. If you're ready, I don't know why you wouldn't be after this sermon, but I want you to turn now. God wants you to turn now and tell him that you want him in your life as Lord. Not just a nice belief and submit to him. Submit your life to him. Commit your life to him. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to learn about it. I want, it. I want you, Jesus Christ. Just, some, just, just, just submit. Just submit. Just, just repent. Wow. And that's what he wants from you. Today, if you heard all these truths and proofs of the Bible and God Almighty and Jesus Christ and, and you didn't know of them, you know, and you're a Christian and you love Jesus, I really earnestly hope that your faith was strengthened 1,000% today. And let me tell you what. This is what I want you to do after this. This is what we all need to be doing after this message, after the proofs that I put forth today. Not just me. You can go look them up. You should go out into this world today, bold as a lion, with your head held high, because you don't worship a fictional character that people claim that you need because, oh, you need some emotional crutch. Oh, I'm just just weak, emotional person. I need this crutch. No. No, 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 no. There is so much proof of the accuracy of the Bible and God Almighty and Jesus Christ that, remember, it converted the God-hating skeptic Simon Greenleaf, basically one of the principal founders of Harvard Law School, who knew the law, and he said it would hold up as a law case in a court now. That's how he was judging it, as a law case in the court system now. An expert in the law, and if anyone could have disproven the Bible by the rules of evidence administered in the courts of justice, he would have. He absolutely would have. He'd been able to do it. Yet the evidence that could still be used in a court of law to determine a real life case against God or with God, he found to do nothing but prove the Bible, God Almighty in Christ, and he got converted by it. Christians, you follow a certifiable God. That's just more than just a fairy tale. Praise him, you saints, for that such good news today. Commit yourself to him more Guys, your faith has eyes. It really does. Your faith has eyes. It's not just, well, I just wonder which one God is. If you really seek, you'll know. God will reveal it to you. And, and, and you can go out and, and get excited about what you know, what you believe. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that we talked about today, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God, that these, even these disciples being as bold as lions, Lord, and them even praying to you and just testify of the truth to something we can actually prove about you, Lord God, that you are real, Lord God. This church, God in heaven, testifies to the reality and the proof of Jesus Christ, Lord God, as we're here only because you told us to come, Lord God, only because you told us to go. Thank you so much, Lord God. I pray for those out there listening, Lord God, that I pray they listen all the way through, Lord God. I pray those that are skeptics, like I used to, or like, well, I am, but non-believing skeptics, Lord, like I used to be, Lord God. I just pray that the evidence that they heard today, Lord, would turn their hearts to you. I pray, dear God, that you'd help them make their way to you. I pray, dear God, that they would go further with this now and investigate even further, Lord, these things we talked about here today, Lord God. And that their, the evidence that they find, like Simon Greenleaf, Lord God, would convert them as well, if they're not already have they been converted. And Lord, for all of us, your children, Lord God, out there listening, I just pray that our faith would be strengthened a thousand percent and that we would know without a shadow of doubt next time we pray, oh man, I'm praying to the real God of the universe, the only real, true creator God of all the universe. Praise you, God. And that all the doubts that come in while we pray, Lord, we'd be able to just shuffle them all out, Lord, because of the realities, the, 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 the actual evidence that you've given to our eyes today of you being who you are. Thank you and praise you, and we love you, God. And we ask all these mighty things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.